right, uh, if we turn to Colossians chapter 4, we are two sermons away from concluding our study in Colossians. What we're going to do after Colossians is we're going to um, have uh, three, uh, three weeks in the book of uh, Matthew. Uh, no, actually, the three weeks in the book of Luke. Uh, we're going to uh, preach on the incarnation. And then after that, uh, I think it's the last Sunday of the year, we're going to begin a study, a new study in uh, the book of James. And so we're going to go through the whole book of that starting off of next year. So if you want to get ahead and read ahead, uh, that's the next book we're going to go through, the book of the book of James. But for now, let's uh, let's tackle Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, our verses for today are verses 2 through 6. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, it's good to see everybody. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, maybe you need a little bit more room today than you usually do sitting in your chairs, huh? <laughs> Shoulders are touching a little bit more today. Uh, I, I hope you enjoyed your time with your family and, and certainly the occasion, giving thanks to God for all his wonderful blessings. Um, we serve a mighty God who not only gives us what we need, but even the things that, um, even the things that we don't deserve, and I am just truly gracious for Him for all the blessings, and part of that is you. I'm grateful for the Lord, uh, and and how He has provided for this church, and how He has given us saints to do work together. And I think this passage is really important for us today. There are two things that are discussed within this passage that are vital to our relationship with God and also our walk in, in, in front of un unbelievers. And those two things are our devotion to prayer and the commitment we have as witnesses to the gospel. I didn't know if you know this or not, but you are a witness. Uh, you were someone who was lost at one point in time, but now you are saved. Uh, you lived in darkness, now you live in light. And so... You are a witness to who you used to be. You are also a witness to what God has done in you and through you, for you. And so we have a responsibility as witnesses to tell others the goodness of God, about the goodness of God. But we cannot do this without prayer. So these are the two things that are highlighted in this passage today. If we look back at chapter 1, I'm not going to read it again, but uh, verses 3 to 14 talk about these two things. So this is how Paul starts off the letter in Colossians, and then this is how he concludes it. He starts off talking about prayer and witness, and then he concludes the letter by giving them as further instructions. If I were to summarize this sermon, I would say this. We must pray persistently and be witnesses of the truth in order to express our faith and bring glory to God. 
In today's passage, Paul teaches us how we can do both of these things, but he does it and he teaches us how to do it in a way that is pleasing to God, but is also beneficial to our neighbors. Um, as I said, this last, ver- you know, the verses two through six, they're not the last ones of chapter four, but what I meant to say, these closing statements, uh, verses two through six can be separated from the final greeting. If you look at your Bible, if you have an ESV version, it's going to have verses two through six under further instructions. And that's, that's a perfect title for this because Paul has already said everything that he's needed to say to the church in Colossae. But these are further instructions. He's reiterating something he's already said. And so this passage begins with Paul instructing the church in Colossae on how and what to pray for. Um, It would be helpful for us to evaluate these words and, and really consider what Paul is saying here so that we can apply it to our own lives. When you look at the points that Paul is making about prayer, there's actually there's actually four points. Uh, three are explicit. One is implicit. The very last one that I'll mention is implicit. The three explicit things or three explicit points are found in verses two through three. He says, first, continue steadfastly in prayer. He says, be watchful in prayer and be thankful in prayer. And then the one that's implicit is pray for others also. I'd like to look at each one of these and then also close with looking at our responsibility as God's, God's witnesses to those that are lost. The very first thing, continue steadfastly in prayer. If you read different versions of the Bible uh, with this passage, I, I like what the NA, NASB says and how it renders it. When you read the NASB, I feel like it's closer to the actual Greek. It says devote yourselves to prayer. And the Greek actually means to attach oneself to something. So I think that's really important, and it really sheds light as to how we are to handle prayer. Paul's message to the church is clear. Wherever they went, whatever they were doing, they needed to be praying. Prayer needed to be a part of their life. And prayer for them was not an activity that they did sometimes and didn't do other times, but rather it was a, a way of life. It was necessary for them. They were dealing with a lot. They had great tribulation. They lived in a fallen world. They were fighting against false teachers. They fought against evil forces of darkness. All these years later, we're dealing with the same things. So if prayer was a necessity for them, then it's a necessity for us today. And so what the message for us is that we need to attach ourselves to prayer. Ecclesiastes 1.9 talks about what has been is what will be, what has been done is what will be done, for there is nothing new under the sun. We're dealing with the same things. And prayer is a necessity for us. Uh, Jonathan Edwards says, Prayer is as natural an expression of faith as breathing is of life. We understand that because... We know that if we try to hold our breath, we'll eventually just collapse. And if for some reason or another we can't breathe at all, then our life will eventually end. So what Jonathan Edwards, as I read his his statement, uh, his quote, the way I translate that in my mind, just as breathing is vital to your physical nature, so is prayer to your spiritual nature. 
a non-praying person is a person who is spiritually dead. Right? Because in order for us to pray, we must have faith. We must have faith that someone hears us, that someone's going to answer our prayer, and that someone is in control. And we place our faith in Christ, we place our faith in God, and we place our faith in the Holy Spirit, that, that He will do all these things. Prayer is something that we must devote ourselves to because we need it so badly. So I think Paul saying we need to devote ourselves to prayer or attach ourselves to prayer is extremely important for us. Our lives cannot be sustained without prayer. We, we truly need it. But then he also says to be watchful in prayer. The Greek here is also interesting. It means to be alert or it points to being awake. I believe the point here is not to be caught off guard. That's exactly what Paul is, is, is trying to teach uh, the church in Colossae, and it's good for us to take heed of that as well. It's the same word, the word uh, to be watchful is the same word Jesus used with his disciples in Matthew 26, verses 40 through 41. I don't know if you remember the story, but it's when Jesus was enduring the cross, and uh, it was a grueling test for him because it was the night before he was to be taken and, and placed on the cross. And so as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes back and checks on the disciples. And as he walks up and checks on them, he finds that they're asleep. And this is what he says in Matthew 26, verses 40 to 41. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That same word that's used here in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, is also used there when it talks about being watchful. See, the disciples, like Jesus, would be tested. It'd be the greatest test of their life, but unlike Jesus, they would fail their test. They would fail their test because they were not watchful in prayer. Being watchful in prayer first speaks to being observant in what to look for, or excuse me, being observant and looking for opportunities to pray. I don't know if you realize this, but that's something that we should be doing as Christians, actually looking for opportunities to pray. A lot of times we're reactive when it comes to our prayer life. We wait for something to happen, and then we start praying about it. But in actuality, we should be proactive. We should try to, we should see a need, and we should see something happening, and we're proactively praying for the Lord to step in, for the Lord to forgive, for the Lord to help. And I think that would be extremely helpful if we even did it in our own personal lives, that we be proactive and look for opportunities to pray. When it comes to prayer, sometimes we tend to treat it as something that we check off of a list. We do it all the time, especially if you're someone who likes to pray at a particular point in time, like if you're a morning, if you like to pray in the morning or if you like to pray in the evening. Um, once we say amen, then, then we're done and we feel like we can move on with our day, knowing that we've already prayed and everything's going to, you know, everything else will fall in line. 
I think sometimes if, we, if we're creatures of habits, and most of us are, we're human, uh, then prayer can sometimes be that way, where it's just something that we're taught to do, so we do it and we get it out of the way. But my question is this, is that right? Is that the way it's supposed to be? Is that any better than just reciting an empty prayer? You see, prayer is communion with God. We are to be in communion with him all day, every day. I found this quote, and it's from an unknown source, but it's, it's a great quote concerning prayer and, and everything that prayer should encompass. It says, prayer, according to scripture, is conversation directed to God that, like human conversation, may take different forms. It may come as an expression of desire or appeal, of sorrow or apology, of love or admiration, of gratitude or appreciation, of dissatisfaction or frustration, or of hopes and joys, fears and doubts, questions and curiosities. A lot of times, my struggle in prayer is that I just see it as, Lord, this is what I need. Please help me with this. But in reality, prayer is much more than that. It, it's, it's a relationship with God. Prayer is speaking to our Heavenly Father about anything and everything. Things that you desire. Sorrow that you have. Apology for wrong that you have done. Expression of love and admiration, gratitude and appreciation, dissatisfaction or frustration. All these things are to take place in prayer. Speaking to our Father about our hopes and our joys, our fears and our doubts, and even coming to the Lord with questions and curiosities. See, that's why we should always be attached to prayer, because we always, we're always looking for answers. And nowadays, I'm not saying the church in Colossae, they didn't have Google, but nowadays we go, to, we go to, to Google and we ask all these different questions. And I'm using that as an illustration. We ask in a practical sense, but if we go to our Heavenly Father every time we have a need, I think it would help us a whole lot more than anything we can practically search for here in this world. If you ever say or think that you don't have a reason to pray, then I'd like to challenge you this morning and say your outlook on prayer is too shallow. Because there's always something to be thankful for. There's always, there's always something that you have a question about. There's always a curiosity you have. There's always a time where you're, you're, you're sorrowful about something. In anything and everything, we must go to the Lord in prayer. So I appreciate Paul's advice here when he talks about, yes, we should be continued steadfastly in prayer, but we should also be watchful in it. For many Christians, one of the hardest things to deal with in prayer is not only being watchful in it, like looking for opportunities to pray, but also being attentive and, and, and present during prayer. The only way to get over this is to basically subdue the flesh. And I think this is the second part of what Paul's talking about here in this passage. We must train ourselves to get out of these, what I'd like to call, immature habits. 
It's no different than training a child to pay attention in church. And this is on the forefront of my mind. I was talking to my wife about this because as, you know, having four children as they grow older, you're, you're, you're helping them progress and being able to sit through church service. And so you let them do different things. You give them grace as they learn to listen. But imagine an adult right now listening to me playing with his little race cars. Yeah, you're just sitting next to an adult. He's playing with, the, playing with his little race car right next to you. Or imagine an adult coloring in a coloring book while he's listening to the sermon. Not so much grace there, right? We don't look at it the same way. If an adult is doing those things, the child's doing those things, yeah, there's a little bit of grace. They're learning to pay attention. They're learning to listen. If an adult's doing stuff like that, it's just like, what's going on? The Bible says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's Hebrews 4.16. Now, I want you to imagine this, using this passage. When we pray, we are in the presence of God. That's what Hebrews is saying. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Prayer is so intimate that we are in the presence of God. Now, imagine yourself in prayer in the presence of God, and then you get pulled away with a thought of hunger. You're praying, and, and you're asking God to help you, but then all of a sudden McDonald's jumps into your mind, and you're thinking about that instead. Maybe McDonald's is a bad choice. I, I, I really don't <laughs> prefer that. For me, it would be Veracruz or something else like that. But imagine that, or imagine if, uh, if, if you're in the presence of God, you're approaching the throne of grace, and then all of a sudden you get pulled away because you're thinking about things that you need to do that day. Or something somebody said the other day, two days ago, three days ago. See, I mention these things because we all do it. We're not present in our prayers. To be present in our prayers is to acknowledge who we're in front of, where we're at, who we're speaking to, to be present and to have attention towards God, to give him the glory that he deserves in our prayers. When we look at it that way, it should change our perspective about paying attention and being present in prayer. And I think that's part of what it means to be watchful in it. That the fact that we are approaching the throne of grace and, and that the fact that we get to do that. Our attention and presence in prayer, our lack thereof, it either shows us our maturity, our dependency on God, or our immaturity and from a spiritual sense. So when it comes to overcoming distractions, the only way we can do that is to train ourselves. It's a matter of saying, I am deciding to be present and to stand in attention in the presence of God as I pray. But then Paul talks about being thankful in prayer. I think this is pretty straightforward. We are to give thanks always. This was Paul's theology throughout all of his writings. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing given thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
that passage is a lot similar to the passage that I'm preaching on right now. Speaking of Colossae, although the Christians in Colossae were facing many struggles, Paul is saying you need to be thankful. Thankful, not only for your trouble, but mainly for the fact that you have Christ. He tells them earlier in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, the fact is pretty simple. We, you and I, those who have Christ, we can be thankful for everything because we belong to God. If we did not belong to God, then we could be thankful for nothing, really. But because we belong to him, we can be thankful for everything or we can have thanks in everything. If something horrible has happened to us, well, at least we know that we belong to God and that God does not waste any opportunity for his glory and our good. If something wonderful has happened to us, then we give thanks because every good and perfect gift is from above. Either way, we can find a reason to be thankful. And then Paul mentions the very last thing, and this is the implicit part, because Paul is not actually, this is not part of his teaching, this is a request from him to the church in Colossae. He tells the church to pray for them. Uh, in fact, he says, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. I can't leave this section without noticing Paul's request that the believers in Colossae pray for them. It, it, it really strikes me of what Paul says here. Paul's not physically with them, so naturally he requested that they pray for him and the others who were doing ministry with him. And as we look at this passage, this specific passage, it's a subtle reminder that prayer shouldn't just be used only for us. Rather, its purpose is to bless others with it as well. So prayers of supplication, prayers of, of, of for other saints, prayers for the lost, all that is extremely important in our prayer life. Not only should we attach prayer to ourselves, not only should we be thankful in prayer, um, but we should pray for others, that they come to the knowledge, saving knowledge of Christ, that their needs be met. What's really striking about this passage, and I hope you didn't miss it, is the fact that Paul's prayer request, it, it is, he's asking for prayer, but his prayer request is not that he be released from prison. I find that extremely, just really, really interesting. He could have prayed for that. Could have said, hey, I have a prayer request uh, I'm in prison right now for preaching the gospel. Uh, the reason I'm in here, it's, it's, it's injustice towards me. It's not right. Uh, I'm, I'm praying that God gets me out of here because that's what I need. That's what I feel like I need. He didn't say any of that, but rather this is what he says. He says, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word. To declare the gospel. That's what he prays for. 
to declare the gospel. Again, he could have asked for anything. He could have asked to be released. But he didn't. Instead, he prayed to be used by God while he was in prison. This passage, first of all, speaks to Paul's contentment. When Paul said, I have learned, I have learned the secret of being content in all situations, he wasn't lying. Because honestly, if I were in this position, my prayer request to you would have been, I pray that the Lord gets me out of here. I want to be back with my family. I want to live in comfort again. I don't want to live in this cell. But Paul was content with his situation because he had all that he needed. He had the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the one thing in life that we need to realize is that all we need is Christ. And if you ever have any idols in your life, the easy way to find out what those idols were is when everything is taken from you, what do you miss? What is it that you're praying for? What is it that you feel like you can't live without? What have you put in God's place? Paul wasn't praying for any of that to be restored to him. He just says, please use me as your vessel here where you have me. Many of us are in a very, very difficult point, are in a very difficult spot right now in life. And our prayer is for the Lord to rescue us from it, but the, 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 value, the, the valuable lessons that we learn are just they're too important for the Lord to rescue, from, rescue you from this. Instead, our prayer should be, Lord, use me in this situation. Grow me in this situation. Help me to help others. I think that's an important lesson for us. But then he gives further instructions on witnessing. And this is a good transition because how Paul says, hey, pray for us, but don't pray for our release. Pray for us so that we can, um, we can make much of the word. The further instructions uh, that Paul asked for concerning witnessing are found in verses 5 and 6. I'll read um, verse, verse 3 as well. At the same time, he says, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Verse 4, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We've all seen something awesome that we couldn't wait to tell somebody else about. The same is true for the Christian when they realize the details of their conversion how God chose them, how God saved them, how God forgave them, and how God transformed them. I went through this twice in my Christian life, the excitement that I felt once I knew that. The first thing was my conversion. My conversion happened in 1996, and I, I remember that after I was saved, I wanted to just speak to anybody and everybody about that. I really didn't know what I was saying or how it happened, but I just wanted people to hear the good news. I wanted them to realize like I was this person and now I'm this other person. That happened then, but it also happened in 2012 when my theology was basically shattered and rebuilt by God. And at that time, I could elaborate how I was saved. I could elaborate on these 
on these, these doctrines and these wonderful truths. And so then, therefore, it was a new excitement to tell everybody of how it was saved. But the fact is, is that once we come to the realizations that God is good and that we aren't and God saved us and forgave us and transformed us, we want to tell others about that. Well, sometimes over time, we lose sight of God's miraculous work and what he's done in us and through us. But we should be quick to remember it. Paul tells the church in Colossae that they can't afford to forget it. Verse 5 when he speaks about walking in wisdom towards outsiders, that, that's what he's talking about. The wisdom is the wisdom from God. He's saying, use it, apply it. See, wisdom can be defined as the trait of using knowledge and experience with common sense and insight. You know what they say about common sense, right? It's not so common anymore. But wisdom, wisdom from God helps us to use what we've learned and to apply it to our lives and to teach others how to practically carry out God's word. To walk in wisdom means to make a practice of it. So when Paul is saying to the church for them to walk in wisdom, he's saying this is something you need to do on a daily basis. You need to live it out. The word outsiders here refers to unbelievers, those currently not included in God's people. That's why they are outside. They are outside of the faith. They are outside of God's grace. Now, there are two aspects of being a Christian witness to outsiders. The first is found in the life that we live. The second is found in the words that we say. And that's how Paul breaks it down here. He first talks about the life that we ought to live. Because he says we need to walk, that means live, in wisdom towards outsiders. Making the best use of the time. Well, there's a couple of ways you can take that. Number one, we should always make wise choices that glorify God and not bring shame to his name. So what is that speaking about? Well, yeah, we shouldn't live sinful lives. That, that's what that's speaking about. That's always wise and good for us to do. But we should, always, we should also make the most of the opportunities with unbelievers. I think that's what Paul's point is here in this passage. It's not only about like, yeah, don't, don't walk in sin and, and, and cause other to cause other to think something else of God or of, of Christianity, but it's about... Make the most of your time with the unbelievers that you are with. See, the time we spend with unbelievers should not be a waste of time, but should find its purpose in evangelizing them. I know there are different approaches when it comes to those who are not of the faith. Um, there are some Christians who believe that they should completely stay away from unbelievers. If you found a way to do that, that's amazing because this world is, is full but the Bible doesn't tell us to stay away from unbelievers. And if you, walk, if you watch the walk of Christ, uh, Christ was, everybody he met was an unbeliever until they came across him. So he spent, he dined with them, he drank with them, he relaxed with them. But there was never a wasted opportunity when it came to Christ and unbelievers. For us, it should be the same. 
doors are often open for us to be a witness to the unbelievers around us. But many times we pass them by because we're not walking in wisdom. And Paul says to the church there, and I believe it applies to us, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. As I was reading this passage, I thought about how much time I have wasted with the unbelievers in my life. A phone call, a request, hey, do you have a prayer request? A time to talk to them about Christ and their trouble. There is a lot of time that I've wasted. There are a lot of doors that were open that I didn't go through. Why? Because I'm preoccupied with the things that I have going on. You shouldn't completely avoid unbelievers, but you should also, you also shouldn't waste the time God has given you with them. They're in your life for a purpose, for a reason. You are to live a Christ-like life in front of them. Yes, that's important. But you need to make the best of your time pointing them to Christ and everything in their life. As you give them advice, as you pray for them, as you, as you talk with them, as you do life with them, that's the essential need that they have. Now, the sec- second aspect of being a Christian, and we'll close with this, a Christian witness has to do with what you say. I, I actually don't have much to say about this because I think there's a passage that really covers it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. This is what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, and here's the point, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, will implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. An ambassador, the passage says that we are ambassadors for Christ. Hence, now you know where I got the title from. An ambassador is a representative of his nation. The Bible talks about how we're not from here. We're sojourners through this world. We're ambassadors. We're representatives of the kingdom of God. We're representatives of our God. A representative, our, an ambassador is a representative both in word and deed. He lives and speaks for his nation. That's exactly what we're called to be. We are ambassadors for Christ, so we are representatives for him in word and also in deed. We must see ourselves as ambassadors. 
We must see the calling that's on our life. And we must realize that God is using us. He is using us to make an appeal through us to outsiders. We can't afford to waste the time that we have. We need to be wise, walk in wisdom, making the most of the time. So, as I said, this passage is is extremely important because it points out the uh, importance of prayer and also the importance of us being a witness to the world. Now, I like how those two are connected to one another. Without prayer, we can't be a witness. We just can't. We can't be a good witness, at least. We need God in order to be a witness. So we need to be connected to prayer. We need to be constantly in communion with God. Listen, if you don't feel like you have a prayer request as far as like a need, well, then there's still a reason to pray because you can thank him for not having a need. But there is always something that we have to learn. There's always questions that we have. I don't know if you ever think about approaching God with questions. Maybe not because you don't feel like you're going to hear an an audible voice coming back to you saying this is the answer to your question. But many times when we approach God with questions, he provides a vessel to come and answer those questions. So there's never not a need to pray. We should always pray to our Father. But we also need to recognize the need that for us to walk in wisdom. Sharing the word with those who need to hear it. Making the most of our time. And realizing that we're ambassadors for Christ. We represent the nation of God here on earth. Let's pray.